As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Baseball Show on The Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the 3-0 Show, part of the Athletic Baseball Show. It is Thursday, August 10th. Derek Van Riper, Britt Giroli, Eno Saris, all here with you on this Thursday. On this episode, we have a no-hitter. Michael Lorenzen threw a no-hitter against the Nationals on Wednesday night. We'll dig into the Rays, trying to weather another big injury in their rotation, what that means for their chances of securing a spot in the postseason and then being a dangerous team if they do secure a spot in the postseason. I've got something on the rundown labeled Grant Brisby and the Frozen Banana, so you'll all learn what that means in a little while. And we've got a new segment called Petty Baseball because there has been some weird stuff happening around the league. So we decided to uh, point some of that out and grade it for its uh, level of pettiness. And I think this is going to be a recurring segment because, well, frankly, weird stuff happens in baseball all the time. And it's not... Usually, it's not usually an accident. So, we begin today with Michael Lorenzen throwing a no hitter against the Nationals. He's cruising through his best big league season, at least as a starter here. And it's just his second start with the Phillies. And Michael Lorenzen gets a chapter in baseball history and probably will never have to pay for a cheesesteak ever again in his life. This is a guy who had never thrown a complete game. In the major leagues before, hat tip David Aldridge and Jason Stark for their column in The Athletic today. And only once, only once had Michael Lorenzen recorded an out, an out in the ninth inning of a big league start. So this is pretty impressive for a guy that hadn't really gone that deep into a start and pitched that well before. Uh, you know, I think you liked Michael Lorenzen as a kind of affordable trade deadline targets so this has to feel pretty good for you right this this feels like some validation is due for you on this one yeah i just like the fact that he had a lot of different pitches that's something that i think every pitching coach loves when they get a new acquisition is somebody who's shown the ability to have success at the major league level but also has ooh, maybe we can tweak this pitch or we can tweak this pitch or we can throw this pitch more often it just gives them more options when they show up and lorenzen has five you know, maybe six pitches he throws, depending on uh, how many brands of slider you want to give him. He's added the sweeper uh, last year, but, you know, this year has really 
uh, incorporated that into his arsenal. And I think that gives him, you know, uh, I would say a plus changeup uh, and with the sweeper, a plus breaking ball. And despite maybe not having uh, the best or biggest fastball in the world, uh, he's coached those shapes along fine and, and he has a decent velo. And he's always actually had a starter's arsenal. That was something that people commented on when he was a reliever, that he didn't really quite have that standout knockout pitch uh, that was like such a great uh, uh, thing for a reliever, you know. But uh, he did have a, a wide arsenal. And so I think this is a better way to use Lorenzen. And uh, I think the Phillies uh, did a great job with him. I got a trivia question, Britt. At which NL team has the third best playoff odds right now? Third best? third best it's on topic it's the phillies it's the phillies yes but see i would think that they'd <laughs> almost be at where the marlins are right now the marlins are still above them the phillies now have a three and a half game lead ahead of the marlins and it's an 85.7 percent chance of making the playoffs for the phillies 42.5 percent right now for the marlins so they're the second no the third best atlanta is number one Atlanta's in the one. nl yeah Dodgers are two. Oh, NL. I was just thinking the NL East. I was thinking just the NL East. Just the whole uh, NL. I was like, yep. how are they not better than the Marlins? Um, okay, yeah, that makes sense. Listen, what's going on in Philly's been pretty cool. It's not like last year. I think it's a little bit different than last year, where everyone was like, oh, this team is what it is. They, you know, the errors are there. And I think there was a lot more expectations. I was surprised, and we talked about it on the live trade deadline show, that the Phillies were the ones who ended up with Lorenzen. Because so many other teams had rumored interests and so many other teams really needed that rotation help that I thought, well, there's no way, right? He's going to go to Baltimore or, you know, he's going to go to the Dodgers, right? He's going to go to a team that, that needs a starter and the way that a lot of these teams, other teams whiffed or acquired other people, um, it just kind of fell that the Phillies were able to get him. And honestly, you root for guys like this. This was a guy who was told over and over again, he couldn't be a starter in the big leagues. And he kept pushing and kept believing that he could be a starter in the big leagues. And then when you watch nights like last night and his mom and his wife in the stands and he's getting all emotional, talk about his late father, who I believe's birthday is today, right? He threw the no hitter yesterday. It's his late father's birthday today. And crazy stuff in his career always happens around this time. Um, they talked about a little bit on the broadcast. I think it's just, just a cool, cool story because of all the no hitters. This always happens in baseball. This is why the sport is so cool. Really? Michael Lorenzen? A no-hitter? Right? Like, you're just sitting there and you're like, when, when are the Nats going to get a hit? And then it gets into the seventh and the eighth inning and you're like, well, this is real here. This may happen. And, you know, the Nationals are a bad team. Yes, I get that. But they were actually the only team in the big leagues. They, they had the, the best record, I guess you should say, or the longest streak of not being no-hit. So this wasn't a team that, you know, that had been no-hit three, four times. This isn't a team marching its way to 120 losses. Like they've played respectable in patches here. And I think that almost makes it better if you're Michael Lorenzen. Yeah, there was, this was a, a team that's not that good, but this wasn't a team that didn't have any big league getters. This isn't a team who constantly is shut out. In fact, they are on the better end of that when it comes to teams in baseball who score runs. They also don't get shut out very often. So that to me is incredible. Watching last night, it was one of those nights where you're like, yep, this is faded. This guy's going to do it. And I felt that way. From about the seventh seventh inning on, you could feel the energy uh, watching that game. It, it seemed like it was actually going to happen 
from about that seventh inning on. I'm, I'm right there with you. It was uh, nice to see those shots in, in the crowd, too. His mom and his wife uh, holding their child, too. And you'd see her mouthing, one more pitch. One more pitch is all he needed at the end. He got it. Uh, Johan Rojas tracking down that final out. Stadium went nuts. It was just a, a really cool moment for this Phillies team. The interesting thing about the Phillies, when I look at them this year, is they've got a few key players that have not played well. Trey Turner... In year one of the mega deal has been the Trey Turner that we've grown accustomed to. So there's still reason to believe that maybe the final two months of his season will look a lot better. It's been a bit of a down year for JT Real Muto. I mean, at least by his standards, right? He's a tick below league average by WRC plus so far. Kyle Schwarber has that really funky slash line, 183, 324, 433. He's got 30 homers, but he's barely above league average. Been a strange year for him. And Bryce Harper... coming off the elbow surgery and playing first base hasn't been typical Bryce Harper yet. So this is one of those teams that they have good pitching. Their defense is better than it was previously. It kind of goes back to when they acquired Brandon Marsh from the Angels at the last trade deadline, at least getting better at that spot than signing Turner and having Turner and Bryce and stop playing up the middle. So they have fixed some of their their big flaws. They've got a good rotation and they've taken some time to make additions to the bullpen as well. This is a a more balanced Philadelphia team. And if you start to get all the pieces in the lineup hitting together, you could see them making a run very similar to the way they did last October. Yeah. And I also like, you know, there was uh, some of the stories mentioned uh, people yelling at Dave Dombrowski that uh, he made a great trade. Um, and, and I, and I agree with them, but you know, not necessarily just because of the results and, and because they got Lorenzen, but because I think that they read the trade market pretty interestingly well. Like, like if you think about it, the trade market was really, really low on position players, you know? And so, you know, could they have like overpaid to get a defensive outfielder? You know, I, I kind of thought maybe like a, a right-handed outfielder that would push Kyle Schwarber to DH more often. Uh, you know, that kind of deal. Uh, there were there were some players there that they could have done. Uh, but instead, what you saw was uh, the thing that was traded the most often at this at this trade deadline were rental starters. And that wasn't necessarily something that came to mind as the first thing that the Phillies needed. But by yeah. getting Lorenzen, you know, now Christopher Sanchez can become a middle guy. He can become a guy who takes a start if you know, somebody else is hurt. Uh, he can help the middle of the bullpen. You know, there's there's all sorts of different ways now that this staff can work together. Uh, Lorenzen himself has experience uh, relieving, as we talked about. So, you know, I think that they read the deadline, found uh, something that didn't cost as much, could make an impact on the team, and make an impact on a team that's different than, you know, even I thought about it. I thought about the deadline as where are your biggest, you know, flaws and fix your flaws, you know? And that is a good way to, you know, you know, improve your team. But this was like, hey, what is the cheapest thing we can get that could probably help our team and maybe make the rich get richer in a way, you know? Like, it's not necessarily that everyone thinks, oh, our rotation is the big problem, but hey, it's not going to cost us a lot and it's going to make a rotation better, you know? And even, yeah. in, even in the postseason, I think, you know, would Lorenzen start a a a postseason game for them i mean maybe he'll be he'll pitch his way into it but uh even if tyler taiwan walker or or ranger suarez starts a game over him you know michael lorenzen is you know one of the first guys off the bench uh and one of the first guys into the game after them so still gonna help them you know help them be better in the postseason so i thought it was a good reading at the trade deadline i don't know how many other teams did that did any other teams do that 
we gave some love really to the, the, the brewers, hole. you know, like not spending a lot, but f- fixing holes. But yeah, but they didn't. The Phillies, as you said, didn't really fix a hole. And then you look around and like, did you guys see the Padres trade deadline acquisitions? The line on that. Uh, hold on. Somebody just sent this to me today because it's brutal right what now. What they've done since they've come. They're hitting 071 with a 17.61 ERA. Since the deadline? Yeah. That's, the deadline that's, wow. that's, that's spending cheap, but also not getting much. Yeah. 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 And I mean, some small sample size. Uh, sure. <laughs> ugliness baked in, but it, it's so funny how <laughs> you'd much prefer the hey, we traded for someone, and that someone threw a no-hitter. That's like everything coming up aces, which, look, Dave Dombrowski was on Starkville earlier this week, so if you haven't listened to that, check that out. You join Jason and Doug uh, to talk about the deadline, among some other things. The way Dave Dombrowski runs a team is different, right? He's more all-in on a regular basis, and I think for a little while, you could look at that and say, oh, why why is he giving up value? He shouldn't be doing that. Over time, I've moved off of a position like that. I like all in. And we talked about the Angels. It clearly hasn't worked for them. We've talked about the Padres so far. Didn't work for them in 2023. We'll see what 2024 brings. You have to grade the process of all in as much as you grade the result. Like You have to make smart trades in that process. But in the case of, of teams that push their chips in and fail... I'm not sure they always deserve to be dunked on. I think that's kind of a reflexive sort of thing. Oh, ha ha, the angels are stupid, right? That's, that's a common sort of reaction. Reading the writing on the wall sometimes, you make the decision and it doesn't work out. Yeah, there's definitely more fans in San Diego in the seats, you know, than there used mm-hmm. to be. They're definitely, they've definitely done something for San Diego baseball in San Diego. Yeah. <laughs> like it hasn't, it hasn't turned into a championship yet, but like, you know, it's, it's better. It's better than what it was before. So, uh, right. you know, I, I, I think that trying is underrated. <laughs> Yeah, effort. We we do like we like effort overall when it comes to front office decisions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. The other part of the addition of Michael Lorenzen that's great is just 
giving yourself that built-in protection against injuries, right? If one of Nola or Wheeler or any of the other starters goes down, you're in a much better spot. And it's really unfortunate for the Rays that Shane McClanahan's injury, which will likely end his season, that happened after the deadline. Because even though the Rays went out and got Aaron Savale, they knew they were one starter short. Now they're short again. And you start to look at what they've got right now. It's Tyler Glass now who's dealing with a, at least a day-to-day injury. Probably going to be okay. Zach Eflin, Aaron Savale, and Zach Littell are their four core starters. They sent Taj Bradley down to Durham recently. It seems like Taj Bradley has to at least help get them through the rest of the regular season. If you said who's going to lead the Rays in starts among their other options for that fifth starter spot, Taj Bradley has to be the favorite for that, even if they use Bolt guys or someone else, at least for a little while, right? Bradley, you probably have to watch his innings carefully as a young starter. I get all that. How do the Rays solve this puzzle? Can they find a way after losing McClanahan, Drew Rasmussen, and Jeffrey Springs? Three members of that rotation have all suffered season-ending injuries now in 2023. If this McClanahan injury does, in fact, end his season, how do they weather that for the final weeks of the regular season? And then how do they work through it in the postseason if they actually get there? I think it's less of a problem in the postseason if you get there because you have all the baked in off days. If you sweep a series, you can get rest. To me, what I think we're going to see a lot of is bullpen days. We're going to see Tampa Bay, you know, the, the team that invented the opener may have to go back to that out of necessity because this was a rotation that what's crazy, guys, is you think back to April. And I remember people saying this may be the best rotation Tampa Bay has ever had. And then they get just crushed with this trio of massive injuries. And now they're scrambling. And now it's post-trade deadline, right? If this had happened 10 days ago, Tampa Bay could have gotten another starter. They could have made another move. Right now, guys have to go through waivers. Uh, There just aren't these big moves to be had, especially a team like Tampa Bay, who is so good. They are, the waiver works in the inverse order of the standings. So you're probably not going to get those guys who, you know, teams that are in, 29th place are going to get to if a guy is put on waiver. So I think their options are limited. And like I said, I think you're going to rely heavily on the relief crew. You may have to push the other starters deeper because your bullpen is needed on other days. And also they got to figure out what's going on with glass now. You know, it's a back issue, I think. Um, but you know, he's a guy who they need. They needed before all this happened. There was a big like, when is he coming back? But now he's absolutely critical, in my opinion. Everybody in that rotation has to stay in that rotation. Because right now it seems like a house of cards, right? It just one, you take one more card off, the whole thing's coming down. That's what it feels like with Tampa Bay, which is a shame because they had the historic starts of the season. Like I said, they went into the year with such a strong rotation. People were saying this may be the best in this franchise's short amount of time that they've ever had, the best starting five. And now we're sitting here saying, hey, how do they piece all this together? And this is after they go out and they get Savali at the trade deadline. Imagine if they hadn't done that. This is just a a really, really interesting and unfortunate situation. It is a creative front office, but there is only so much you can do when you keep losing good starters out of your rotation. Yeah, it's funny. I think the Savali thing was to was a hedge against something like this happening. I mean, they they, Tyler Glass now has uh, been Glass. (laughs) <laughs> now, now. <laughs> uh, but uh horrific pun just <laughs> awful but uh you know the, the 
it's funny because he is actually part of what how they got here. You know, Aaron Savali himself has not pitched more than 135 innings, you know, in his career. And so, you know, they got another guy that was maybe achievable because he's injured a lot. And that's how they got here is that Tyler Glass now had had TJ. Shane McClanahan had had TJ in college. Drew Rasmus had had two TJs in college. You know, the why, how do they get these guys for, you know, in their deals is because they already have that little like injury risk baked in. And Tampa says, well, that's fine. Give me your injury risk guy. And I'm going to hope they're all healthy at the same time. It's it's not working out for them again, and it's uh, it's kind of comical in a way, but I do still think this is a team that has the pitching to do it. And the reason I say this is that I think that they've managed Glass now carefully all the way to the end, and I think they'll have him as their ace. And then Eflin, Savali, um, even, you know, Littell, like these guys are guys that can, can slot in after them. Um, and you know, I think what you actually do with Bradley is, you know, Todd Bradley's not really coming up against his innings total. He still has about 40 innings left before he hits his career high. So I think what you need to do with Bradley is just get him right. And part of that is, uh, you know, how hard his breaking ball is or whatever, you know, make sure he's right. And, uh, you will use him some as a fifth starter. I think in the, you know, he will be a great addition to the bullpen in the postseason. So now you're like, okay, our starting three in the in the postseason is Glasnow, Savali, Eflin, Littell, and and Bradley are going to come in and do different things. Littell is a little bit more finesse. Bradley's going to uh, blow fastballs by you, and that'll get us to Jason Adam and Pete Fairbanks at the back because they've you had a little bit of trouble with the middle relief. Um, so I actually think the pitching staff is still an okay uh, spot. Uh, interestingly enough, the the offense has fallen to twelfth in the last month, and uh, that was part of why they you know went out to such a big uh, hot start. I think the offense will be fine, uh, but twelfth, you know, that that won't win you the championship necessarily. Now, I think what's interesting about the Rays, like even even after the hot start, we knew they weren't going to sustain best offense in the league by a wide margin the way they were in April. And no one expected that to continue. Now that we're more than four months into the season, they're third in Team WRC Plus at 118. That's very good, right? They're fourth That's in home. With all that can, banked early, though. All that yeah. banked early, but still, the bigger picture is like more realistic. Mm-hmm. They're 16th in K percentage. So they're a little bit less of a liability as a lineup with swing and miss than some of the Rays teams of the past. I do like the idea of Bradley, when you shorten the rotation in the postseason, maybe being a two or three inning glue guy out of the pen. That could be a really nice boost for them. And you're right about the innings count, too. All of this, too, also you got to go back to the Fangraphs playoff odds for a second. The Yankees are more likely to make the playoffs than the Rays are to miss them. The Yankees playoff odds are down to 8.5% entering play on Thursday. Are the Red Sox still ahead of them? Oh, yeah. They were. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Everybody in the AL East. Unreal. Healthily ahead of the (laughs) the Yankees playoff odds right now. I think this lineup is still really good. They have nine position players in Tampa Bay who are better than league average by WRC+. And I realize part of how they get there is they don't see they, you don't they don't put Josh Lowe out there against lefties, right? Like Harold Ramirez is a great semi-regular. That's what makes them dangerous is that they're not dependent 
entirely on Randy Rosarena going off in October. Like they've got a good deep lineup right now. So how far down do they fall on the leaderboard over what's left of the season? Maybe they fall a couple more spots. Maybe they're fifth in WRC plus when the postseason begins. But you still have to look at them as an above average lineup and one that's not striking out a ton. And that will make them dangerous come playoff time as well. Yeah, I think it's the power that comes yeah. and goes. It's a solid. It's a solid team. The power they they get streaky on power, and it's it, it might be because of the type of player they go and get, because they seem to get guys who hit the ball hard but don't lift the ball that well. It's a little bit like the uh, injury uh, uh, pitcher guys. If you could, if I could get uh, hitters that all didn't strike out, hit the ball hard, and lift the ball, then I'd have the best team in baseball. But how I'd have to spend a lot to get those guys, you know, <laughs> like I'd have to, like, it's not like you kind of sometimes have to choose two out of three in order to, to acquire them, especially if you're the Rays and you're not going to spend any money. <laughs> so, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, they have a bunch of guys who have good plate approaches. They don't strike out too much. They hit the ball hard. They don't lift the ball. Sometimes they lift the ball like Andy Diaz for two months and then they stop lifting the ball. <laughs> and so I think their power kind of comes and goes, but their good plate approaches, the, the fact that they hit the ball hard, I think that's, that sticks around. You do wonder though, guys, like as, as this AL Easton continues, like if the Rays just say, you know what, all we got to do is get it to the wild card, right? Like not even like some games, not waving the white flag, but like I said, with the bullpenning and things like that, yeah. they're probably going to make the playoffs, right? So you almost wonder if, because they're so good at maneuvering and they're such a uh, front office not afraid of doing things, if it comes down to the last week of the season and it looks like a long shot to overtake the Orioles, if they kind of like bank on just being the wild card, right? Like rest some of these guys that they're going to need. Again, I'm less worried getting into the playoffs. I'm more worried about how they're going to get to the playoffs with all of these guys intact because they just cannot afford another injury, right? When you get to the playoffs, you only need like three starters. I saw the Nationals with like five pitchers they trust win the World Series. <laughs> so you don't need a yeah, you don't need a starting five in the playoffs. You need three. The Rays but you need three. you need Tyler Glass now, right? So you're you're in oh, the yeah. last so week important. of the season. You them in bubble wrap. Yeah. If you're in the last week of the season, if it's the last game and you could still take first, you're you're sitting Tyler Glass now. It, oh, okay, no. I said you're in the wild like card. Win six of the final seven, then you're like, you know what? Let's just. To say yeah. that. It's not a one-game wild card anymore. In that situation that Eno just outlined, you have to throw glass now and try to yes. win the division because the extra situation. rest you to get for everybody to go in with a completely fresh bullpen by not having to play in the wild card round absolutely worth the risk. In that case, Glass now has been fantastic in July. By the way, three consecutive starts where he went seven innings. The overall numbers just dominant strikeout to walk ratios. This is a guy that when he's healthy has become a Cy Young candidate. He has to do it over a full season to actually get votes, but that's the kind of pitcher he is. That's the kind of guy who he could kind of build up some momentum to become for 2024. So important now that they keep him healthy, though, because he's clearly their best starter. It's a healthy, healthy margin between Glass now and the field in Tampa Bay. Let's move on to Grant Brisby and the frozen banana. In this case, so this, this goes back to something Grant tweeted, I believe, back in the spring, and it's about how the Giants would sign injured pitchers, knowing that those injured pitchers would return at some point in the middle of the season. And it's, uh, it's an old banana. Mitch Hedberg joke. <laughs> it's a frozen banana. Mitch Hedberg had a friend who offered him a frozen banana. So you want a frozen banana? Mitch Hedberg said, no, but I'd like a regular banana later 
So yeah. So <laughs> that's kind of what an injured pitcher is. An injured pitcher is like the frozen banana. It's not going to help you now, but once he's healthy, he helps you in May, June, July, August, whatever it is. In the Dodgers case, they already had the frozen banana on the roster. Walker Bueller on track for September, working his way back from a second Tommy John surgery. And I think the question here is, what should reasonable expectations be for Bueller coming back, given that it's the second TJ, given where the stuff was at before he got hurt? It's a nice lift for the Dodgers. They've needed a little extra pitching. They've leaned on some young guys pretty heavily. So having a fresh Walker Bueller joining the mix at the end of the season is a big lift. But what should we reasonably expect from him? I have no idea. I mean, you guys look at the data. I mean, it's a total wild card coming back from your second. TJ, there's just like a wide variety. Like some guys are never the same. Some guys are able to be kind of close to what they were. Um, I mean, mainly I take issue with the frozen banana thing because clearly no one here makes smoothies. Like, come on, guys. I mean, we have a huge thing of frozen bananas in our freezer. I had a smoothie earlier today. <laughs> they are useful at the time. And does a frozen banana actually turn into a regular banana after it defreezes, it or is it just kind of gross? It certainly would not. I don't know what Mitch was thinking. <laughs> yeah, it gets gross. Yeah, so you need stretch. to eat the frozen banana while frozen, so it's not a great one. And let's not forget that the reason that they need Walker Bueller back so badly is because they whiffed on getting a starter. So that's the real issue. You know what I mean? They couldn't get Eduardo Rodriguez, and they didn't do anything else to get a starter. So. It, well, that's some Lance Lynn erasure if I've ever heard it. <laughs> yeah, hey, why why are you just deleting Lance Lynn from the depth chart? Because everyone knew that they needed another starter, guys. Yeah. Um, it's like the Orioles relying on John Means, who's making a rehab star double A buoy, I think, soon. Um, you can't you can't pencil them in for anything. It's intriguing, but especially coming off of your second Tommy John surgery. I mean, you know, I don't know how much you've crunched the numbers on this, but again, there is such a huge margin. There's a for like what you come back as versus the first Tommy John. And honestly, statistically, the more you push the first Tommy John, the better your career is like a la Justin Verland. But the mm -hmm. problem now is guys are having two before they even get into the prime of their career. So I don't really know if you can expect much of anything from Walker Bueller. I really don't. I think you have to look at it all as a bonus. There's there's some there's some level like some hurdles he's cleared in the fact that he's throwing in games. So you know there is a a higher failure rate. Like you you're asking about the data a little bit. Like there's a higher failure rate for the second one where the, some like a higher percentage don't even ever come back. So right. that's like you know the failure rate on the first Tommy John is is something like ten percent, and the failure rate on second Tommy John is like fifteen to twenty percent. So it's almost almost double. And there's people that just don't come back. But the fact is he's throwing. So it's probably not the complete failure. The other thing that, that that they've shown in the data is that the fastball command comes back less. And I don't, you know, I've never thought of Bueller as like, you know, super dependent on command, but it does it does make it interesting to think like, you know, what's his velo and what's his command? And, you know, one, one thing you do often when you're coming back from TJ is you don't touch your breaking balls, you know? And, you know, he yeah. kind of had like three breaking balls and he's always kind of changing his breaking balls a little bit and making them harder and softer and doing this and that. So like, I, I have a feeling that it won't be like, oh, Walker Bueller can go five for us, especially not in the playoffs. You know, like I, fe I have a feeling like he's going to be more of this kind of Taj Bradley-esque, you know, glue guy uh, that, you know, could could help them. You know, I, I, I like their 
their back three uh, better than their middle, uh, you know, so, so much. So, like, you know, he's going to help them. But I think in the playoffs, you're still, you're like, okay, we're getting Kershaw. We'll get Kershaw back as another frozen banana, I guess. And uh, we're hoping Urias gets right. So then we, we start with those two. I would personally have Bobby Miller third. Uh, but you, you're, you're kind of already being like, what are we doing with the third starter? And I don't think that Bueller answers that question. I don't think you're like, oh, Bueller, uh, when you've got Bobby Miller, Tony Gonsolin, and Lance Lynn there. So I think this is going to be more of a, a glue situation than it's going to be like, oh, we got our, we got one of our top three playoff starters back. That's good. Yeah, they may get another addition to the bullpen too with Blake Trinan. So we'll see if that actually ah. materializes. So one, one more in that pen in short relief could be. Pretty nasty. But I think when you look at the Dodgers right now, you're assuming Kershaw's back healthy. It should be soon anyway. Urias is healthy, at least right now. I'm with you. You know, I think Bobby Miller's their third best starter. I think it's a tough decision to make when you have veteran guys who have pitched in the playoffs before. Especially Gonsolin's had some success in the postseason. Yeah. Lance Lynn more recently, of course. The thing that's etched in my brain is Lance Lynn struggling against the Astros in the postseason. That's, uh, you know, who, he's already made some adjustments. So, how they decide on that fourth starter, I think, is going to be really interesting. I think it's the top three, Kershaw, Urias, Miller. And then if, if he's a fourth starter, who do we turn to there? Uh, at this point, though, I'm going to wave the white flag. I'm going to say my bold prediction that the Dodgers will narrowly miss the playoffs. It's not going to happen. They're at 92.4% odds of clinching a bye. They have opened up a big lead over the rest of the NLS. They are up six on the Giants. They're up 11 on the D-backs. They're up 13 on the Padres. So... It was fun while it lasted. There was a point in the middle of the season where it looked like I had a chance to hit on that bold prediction. I am giving up hope on that. Yeah. Seattle's making a nice run, though, and I predicted them as my bold prediction. All they have to do is get in. They're kind of the the opposite of San Diego right now. They're 37%, and uh, they are trending up. The number one uh, likely to make it that's out of the playoffs right now, so they have to uh, leapfrog basically just the blue jays right now so 62 and 52 and the blue jays 65 and 51 so that's that's probably the big race in the al is mariners versus blue jays yeah that's a fun one too i like the the way the mariners built this roster being so good in the rotation i mean it's strange to give up a reliever as good as paul seawald and and like still go for it but it's not that weird because they've got a deep bullpen. They've got other guys they can rely on. That's that's not the giving up on the season move, especially if you're going to plug in Dominic Canzone as much as they have. But you look at the starting rotation. Castillo's healthy. Gilbert's healthy. Kirby's healthy. Bryce Miller's still healthy. They may go to a six-man rotation once Brian Wu comes off the IL. They just brought up Emerson Hancock for his debut. You know, did you get a chance to look at stuff numbers on Hancock, by the way? Yeah, it's it's interesting. He he throws a sinker, I think. Uh there might be some classification issues there and you wouldn't normally want a righty to throw sinkers uh you know to lefties. Um but uh uh what he's done is he's thrown them high. And that's actually the one place the righty can throw sinkers to lefties is high in the zone. So, uh really good coaching from the Mariners from step 1 where this is a guy who's does not have the stuff of the other guys. You know, Gilbert, Wu, uh, you know, even Brash and, and and Bryce Miller, they have much bigger stuff 
But Hancock has pretty good command and uh, they're coaching him really well in terms of this is where you can live with your sinker against uh, lefties, even though you're not really supposed to throw that pitch to lefties. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the changeup plays because it didn't get that many whiffs in the first game, uh, but it's supposedly his best pitch. Um, I, I, I definitely have him as the worst among this homegrown starting five, but it's really... What an accomplishment for Mariners player development. I'm sorry. Like they drafted and developed an entire rotation in like four years. So it's just really kudos to the Mariners on that. They've, they've got a lot figured out on the pitching side. Yeah. And yeah really well done. And they got one start out of Robbie Ray this year before he got hurt. So that's a, that was a big loss at the time, but they've been able to weather that because of that depth. Yeah, it's all just offensively with them. That's been their story all year is can they hit? consistently as a lineup to support that pitching. That's going to be the whole question of their season, right? Can they do enough? The park matters too, because it's now, you know, one of the top three pitcher parks in, in baseball, I think. And so, you know, this is related to the difficulty, I think, in developing hitters. And, and it also helps them, the pitchers land softly. You know, It's not like they're landing in Colorado trying to figure out how to keep all the missiles from going out. So, uh, you know, I think... Um, it is, uh, it, it's all tied together. Um, and, and they also seem to like really they, the type of hitters they like don't all like hit the ball super hard. And I think they're looking for people who can control the zone. And, um, I wonder, you know, the Teoscar acquisition that was like maybe they should do a couple more of those where it's like, yeah, he doesn't control the zone, but he hits missiles. And, you know, sometimes you need to hit a missile to get it out in Seattle. Yeah, you do. You look at the way they're built. They've got a, a few different types of players. I think J.P. Crawford and Ty France are more in the contact heavy, get on base sort zone. of mold. But then you got a handful of guys. I, I mean, I think Cal Raleigh and, and Julio Rodriguez. Rodriguez, okay. He's good Rodriguez at Rodriguez is like, he's good at everything. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's his own kind of player. So far this year, he's been more like the swing and miss type play. Hard hitter. Stuff. He steals bases and yeah. all that too. The, the longer term answer for Julio Rodriguez is becoming a player like Ronald Acuna Jr. is today. Like that's in his range of outcomes. I think it's interesting that you've got Raleigh. Jared Kelnick comes back in September from his self-imposed foot injury. Eugenio Suarez has been a little better lately, but still not hitting for as much power as you'd expect. Slugging 390 here in the middle of August. Is it a good lineup? It, like, like the, what if you put him in a different ballpark? Is it a good lineup? They've got underperformers the same way the Phillies do, but when I look at the Mariners versus the Phillies, I'm more confident in the Phillies getting more from multiple guys the rest of the way than I am well, from the yeah. Mariners. The Phillies have more veteran hitters, too, if you look at it. The Phillies are really kind of the antithesis of what's going on right now with the youth movement. They have veteran guys at almost every position. They're a veteran team. Think about it. Yeah, they are. They're definitely running on the older side. But I'd like what Seattle's doing right now. Hope for Brit's sake they continue on their run and at least give her a shot at making that World Series win a bold prediction come true. I just want to go back to Seattle selfishly. Ah, that's what this was all about. You're just, just wish casting the road trip to Seattle. Uh... 
Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra-flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Let's get to our new segment, Petty Baseball. We need a song or something. You know, like <laughs> a jingle, a hashtag. Yeah. <laughs> I think hashtag Petty Baseball is the hashtag. Yeah. I think we need to use the intro from Even the Losers, the Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers song. Because a lot of, I mean, this is loser behavior. Like right? being petty is a loser thing to do anyway. So it, it works on all levels. We were tipped off to uh, something that happened on the scoreboard at Guaranteed Rate Fields where the White Sox play in Chicago on Wednesday night. Keenan Middleton made a relief appearance for the Yankees against the White Sox uh, just days after making critical comments about the White Sox clubhouse culture. Okay, so Keenan Middleton's name did not appear on the scoreboard or the ribbon board while he was pitching. And initially the thought is, well, well, that's petty. Like, why would you? Why would you not put his name up there when he's pitching? But this one to me seems like it was a legitimate glitch. The White Sox say it was a glitch caused by duplicate players being listed under one uniform number on MLB's downloadable roster for the Yankees. Both Middleton and Everson Pereira are on the 40 man and they have number 93 in the system. You could see like an automated process is just they download the roster, automated process goes to the board. Right, you don't punch his name up on the board to see if it's there when the game starts and test it. He gets in the game, you're like, crap. Maybe there's some sort of fix you can do before the next day, but it's not an easy thing to fix on the fly. This, to me, at first, seemed like peak petty baseball. <laughs> but with explanation, I feel like this is a satisfactory explanation. I don't think this is petty baseball. What do you think, Britt? Eh, I mean, it's a great excuse if that is, you know, really what they were trying to do is be petty. <laughs> it, it's a phenomenal cover cover your behind explanation if, if they're lying. I don't, I don't still think they're lying. I think this is the truth. Uh, yeah, they may not be because honestly, like, what's the end game here of not putting his name on the scoreboard? 
Are you taking away his playoff how, share? Right? Yeah, how like, long does it last? How long does it last too? It's like ten minutes yeah. of petty behavior for yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, you're gonna get you're but just gonna also, get laughed at for being petty. You're not winning anything. Yeah. <laughs> and if they did have this meeting, it's like we'll show him. Somebody I hope would have raised their hands and been like, "Won't this cause more people to Google what he said?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. This will bring right? more attention to the issues yeah. that were raised yes. by Keenan Middleton. This is a huge <laughs> problem with petty baseball. You've you've uncovered yeah. the number one problem with being petty. <laughs> yeah, usually it backfires. It back. Yeah. So I always. Hope, I would hope this isn't the case with the White Sox, though. I thought John Greenberg did a great job of writing a column about kind of summing up everything that's wrong with that organization, starting with the fact that nobody ever loses their job there, which seems to be problems one through a hundred is that there's no new faces ever. So everybody just keeps talking about culture, 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 because it's a buzzy word and no one fixes anything. So they're a mess. I don't think they it, it totally would pass the sniff test, Eric, you're right, for some kind of glitch on the scoreboard. It was just funny that it happened to be a guy who dragged them. And then Lance Lynn confirmed everything, though, too. So this wasn't like him going scorched serve, I don't think at all. Because later, Lance Lynn, who is now, as you guys pointed out, the guy I forgot that the Dodgers acquired. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't pardon, but they did need another starter. He said basically everything he said was right. So who's the real loser in this? The White Sox, Joe. Unanimously, this is not petty. Yeah, like. You, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure about this one, but I, I would like to point to the reporting that Britt's been doing about something that's very obviously petty and has very <laughs> obviously blown back in their face over in, in Baltimore. So, I mean, just tell us a little bit more about what's been happening over there because it just seems that seems like a, a lesson 101 and not, not being petty. It's incredible. So, it was like Monday night, right? I was chasing this on Monday before it broke. I was trying to figure out if this was true. And now most people would say, would would kind of look at the tip I got, which is John Angelus to Kevin Brown off the air for reading a graphic. And they'd be like, that's not true. I can't even look into that. Me living in the Baltimore area, having covered that team said this, I said to Ken Rosenthal, our colleague, I said, Ken, this is just crazy enough to be true. Uh, <laughs> sure enough, it's exactly what it is. Now, there are so many petty things to this, but guys, I'm going to take you a little behind the curtain here. When I'm making calls, when I call the Orioles, I call John Angelos, his, his spokesperson, to say, hey, I'm writing this. Do you have a comment? You know, standard stuff before you you release an article. And you know, they spent the whole time on the phone trying to convince me I was wrong, saying, well, we're going to demand a, con- you know, a correction. Uh, okay, like if you don't want to correct me now before it prints, it just seemed like a lot of gaslighting, correct? And, you know, it, it's 8 o'clock on Monday night at this point. I had already submitted our newser. I was working on the column I wrote about John Angelos for the next day. And uh, they go on the phone. Um, well, you're just dying to write this column. You just couldn't wait to crush John Angelos. And I'm like, it's 8 p.m. on a Monday night. I have a one-year-old. You think I want to sit here and crank out a story for two and a half hours? <laughs> yeah. Are you insane? <laughs> but like that, they, it's always... Like, no, I want to sit, have a beer, and watch baseball. Like, you know what I mean? Who wants to start working at 8.30 on a Monday? No, but you guys made yourself the story. And this is how petty they are, right? They think, even after all of this, that it's the media who made this a story. Not that they did something so stupid, so insane, that everybody is talking about it. Guys, like, I went on CNN the other day. They led CNN with this story. (laughs) That's when you know you stepped in in it. (laughs) Right. Wow. In their mind, though, this is like, 
Oh, me and other reporters sitting around saying, oh, 8.30 on a Monday night. I wonder what I should do. I know. I won't relax. I won't sit in the hot tub. I won't watch baseball. I'll make calls and try to write about John Angelos. Like, <laughs> they are just peak petty. I mean, when Manny Machado was traded away by them voluntarily, right? He didn't leave. They traded him to the Dodgers. You weren't allowed to talk about Manny Machado. When the attendance was really low, they had their mass and reporters not tweet it. Like, <laughs> this is all peak petty behavior. You couldn't mention Buckshaw Walter for years. For years, you couldn't mention Adam Jones. Like, they didn't do anything to welcome him back. Why did they let Ryan Wagner go, the, the, public, the public address announcer? Yes, hours before the home opener, too, because he's tweeted, like, I hope, like, excited that the stadium will be more packed this year. Meaning it wasn't packed before that, because the team sucks. That's it. Like, these that are all their statements of fact, <laughs> right? So That's where this whole thing funny. started, right? So, so anyone who's not familiar by now, but the story's been big for a few days now, Kevin Brown, a team broadcaster for Masson, committed the deadly sin of reporting verifiable facts about the team's record against the Tampa Bay Rays on air. That's all he did. He he read a stat that was in the media packet printed by the team that had a graphic behind him produced by the network that the team owns. He read the script. It's actually sort of positive. What he was saying is they've been good against the Rays this year. And they've been bad in the past, but they're good now. Like he was trying to, he was trying to be like they're undoing some of the ghosts of the past. That's that's sort of like the the ethos of what he was doing. <laughs> yeah, it's just peak petty. Brit, it's so petty. It made me wonder: was there something else that happened that no one else saw or heard at some random point in the last several years that just <laughs> led to this bizarro decision? No. So people who don't aren't familiar with the Angelos family at all, have had your reaction, right? I got a lot of texts like, what's the real story? Then I got about a dozen texts from people who are former employees saying, finally, it's out there how insane this guy is. (laughs) And everybody loves Kevin Brown, right? Yeah. And like this, but also like this happens all the time. Like the only reason he went on radio once during this suspension, right? The team says it's not a suspension, but we all know it is. He went on the radio once. Why did he go on the radio? Because one of the radio broadcasters wasn't following the team rules of only wearing team apparel. They're on the radio. (laughs) Nobody sees them. Like this is just, again, you can't make this stuff up, right? Like I know that they get in trouble all the time for saying things like for a long time, they couldn't say the where they got a bunch of the guys in the Manny Machado trade. It's like fans aren't idiots, right? But <laughs> this is how the Angelos family operates. And Ken and, and uh, wrote yesterday about the lease situation at Camden Yards. They earmarked $600 million for John Angelos to make improvements at Camden Yards. All he has to do is sign this lease. Will he sign it? No. Want to know why, guys? He wants what Atlanta has. He wants 60 acres of land in Baltimore just bulldozed so that they can create the battery. It is just impossible and illogical on so many levels. That is John Angelos. That is working for this guy. He, this is how he operates. He's thin-skinned. He, you know, it's not really all that bright. He failed the bar a couple times. You know, he was born (laughs) on third base thinking he hit a triple. This is exactly what Orioles fans have been dealing with. And it was kind of covered up and forgotten about for a while because they were good. But now, not only is the lid blown off here, but nationally, everyone's like, wow, this guy is a clown. Like, how is he allowed to own a team? But MLB is <laughs> not going to obviously take him away, or they would have taken John Fisher uh, and the A's away. So that doesn't really matter here. But 
what an absolute national embarrassment that supersedes sports. This was bigger than sports headlines, which is unbelievable. And guys, I heard he's furious that this got out. Not about what he did. You're not going to get an apology, right? He's just furious that somehow this leaked out. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know what? It's, it's interesting. I have, I have some information I'd like to pass on. I'm going to call this Orioles facts. Uh, if you forgot what the Orioles did when they traded Manny Machado, who they got back, they got back Ryland Bannon, Eusniel Diaz, Dean Kramer, who is still on the team, Zach Pop, and Bravik Valera. Nice trade, guys. Really, really well done all around. That was July 18th, 2018. Circle that date on your calendar and I celebrate I use that as an example year. in my piece of why, uh, why shopping for rentals is a good idea. <laughs> Yeah, right? I mean, why not? If, if you that's, might give up if that's a fifth all the teams starter. want, <laughs> you might give up a fifth starter. Some more Orioles facts. Orioles run a bottom five payroll each of the last five seasons per cots, part of the rebuild, but still bottom five in payroll. You may also uh, have failed to learn over the years that John Angelus's father, Peter Angelus, bought the Orioles back in 1993 for $173 million, part of a group. Forbes estimated they're now worth $1.7 billion as of March 2023. It's nice that he wants more than $600 million, too. Wants land, all that stuff, too. Really cool. Here's a couple other facts. This is amazing. Since the Angelos family purchased their majority stake in the club in 1993, the Orioles have a losing record against every single team in their division. Every single one. They have a losing record against all of them. Derek's going to get suspended. Five World Series titles for the Yankees in the time since the Angelos family bought their majority stake in the Orioles. The Red Sox have four. The Blue Jays have one. The Rays have at least been there twice, even though they haven't won a World Series in that span. They are the worst team in the division. Thin skin, that gets passed down in the Angelos family. That's very clear. Losing also gets passed down, right? This is a loser franchise since they've owned it. That's what they've been. The numbers back that up. Loser by behavior, loser by results. Hey, hey, this is a, it's a little harsh now. I mean, I I, I, really, I like this team. I like the players on it. Do you, I, like, I, I just want to push back a little bit. I like this team, and they seem like they may not all be losers. And it, it actually, you know what? It is sad because I think there's the, the organization versus the team, right? It's like the, the players are likable, and the, yes. the, the, the players are good, and, and they've gotten to this place, and Yes, you know, the front office has helped them, you know, help help put this team together, but I don't want this to go all the way down to the players. And I don't want this to go all the way down to the team as it plays on the field, you know? Like if yeah, you right. want to be a fan of the Orioles, that's fine. It just you know, can we can we somehow separate these things, you know? I don't know. I think we should. I think I think we usually do. We do until someone gives us a reason not to. We're pretty good at doing that in our heads. <laughs> yes. Another podcasting debut. <laughs> a, a handoff here in our house with a, a sick kid. This is a big boy. <laughs> He'll be quiet. <laughs> no, this this story, the Orioles 2023 story, will eventually go back to the team on the field, right? This will blow over as silly as it all is. And they are a well-built team. They're ahead of schedule. They seemingly did really well, in at least the first time out for Jack Flaherty. He looked excellent, right? You talked about how important... Velo is for him, you know. Velo looked better. Yeah. Jack Flaherty looked really good in that first start against the Blue Jays. So they have a chance to change a lot about what's been happening with this franchise over three decades. They're on the right track. We're seeing that. They're a fun team to watch, and this was all avoidable 
100% the result of John Angelos being petty. That's peak petty baseball. You will not find a better example. You tried, though. You saw one, you know, you saw one from, from Houston that caught your eye. For our, for our, can you put it up for our listener, for our viewers on oh, YouTube? Oh, yeah. If you're, if you're watching on YouTube, this is an incredible graphic. Mark Berman follows a team down in Houston, had this screenshot uh, from an Astros broadcast. It's no hitters in franchise history, including the postseason. Lists all of them. And then there's this blank wedge from 2015. <laughs> that blank wedge belonged to Mike Fires. They just took his name off the board. It's so hilarious, too, because... They didn't just like there's some combined no hitters around it too. So the one right before it is Oswald Monroe, Carlos <laughs> Lynch, Dotel Wagner. <laughs> just, yeah, there's three combined no hitters where they really had to work hard. They had to make the text smaller to fit all the names in. <laughs> that took more effort <laughs> than taking the Mike Fires name off the board. Uh, you know, this one is this one incredible. I do think it is petty, uh, but this one is petty in a way where the added attention is not necessarily on negative because you're 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 playing this to Astros fans, right? So right. once they discover who the blank is, they're going to laugh and be like that's right, you know, and be like, you know, they're going to sort of high five the broadcasters for that, I think. You know, cuz mostly a lot I think most Astros fans have ill will towards Mike Fires for for whistleblowing on the on the cheating scandal. So you know, I, 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 you know, I think that that's one where if there is blowback for being petty, it's it's actually sort of positive blowback. If that makes sense, like it's okay for people to talk about that. It's kind of funnier, you know. Mm-hmm. No yeah, one's way, losing their that job was way over it. Funny, hmm? correct? Yeah, it was it was way better than the Orioles petty. It was funny petty. Yeah, exactly. So it comes in all shapes and sizes. The petty baseball, but if you see something you think is petty baseball, be sure to tag it. Hashtag Petty Baseball. Send it our way on Twitter. You can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find Britt at Britt underscore Giroli. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. Uh, if you want to get a subscription to The Athletic, $2 a month gets you in the door for the first year at theathletic.com slash baseball show. That's going to do it for this episode of The Athletic Baseball Show. We are back with you on Friday. Yay. You always got the green light here. Green light.